Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, God bless you. It's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again. We are in the middle of a series of studies called Territories, and we're looking at the times in the Bible where God's kingdom expanded physically and spiritually. And isn't it fascinating that as we sit here and talk about territories every week, the territories in our world are shifting. And you see it in the news every day. You saw the, the volcano in Tonga and the way that literally changed the topography of the island. And we hear talk of Russia reclaiming the Ukraine and China talking about retaking Taiwan. And we realize there are big physical shifts going on in the territories of the world all the time. Well, there are spiritual, spiritual territories shifting as well. We make a lot of noise about the one and we tend to not pay much attention to the other one. But the shifting of spiritual territories is all the more significant. Because as spiritual territories shift, God's kingdom moves. And so we're going to continue in our series of studies today and, and look at where God's territories have shifted and changed through the story of the scriptures and see how that applies to our lives. We first looked at Abraham and Sarah who stood in the territory that God was giving them. And then we... we Remember, they, they ended up in slavery in Egypt, but God called them back to reclaim that territory. And we looked at Caleb and Joshua entering the promised land and reclaiming it. Well, today, we come to that part of the story where they've been living in the promised land for a season. And now comes the time where they go to build a house for God, to build a temple. When they were wandering around in the desert, they had a, a tent where they met God and where they worshiped, the tent of meeting. Well, now it's time for the softscape to become hardscape. And they're going to move in and, and lay the foundation for a temple that King Solomon would build. And we're going to look at the story of their building of a church as we talk about the story of our building a church. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you call us to advance your kingdom in this world. You empower us by your spirit and you set us loose in this world to go and make your name known and to love people in your name. And to point people in your direction. I pray that your spiritual territory would expand as we do ministry. And that your physical territory would expand. So that there would be vibrant houses of worship in the center of communities. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right. We're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're about midway through the Hebrew scriptures now. And uh, we're going to look at what happened when King David uh, got the idea in his head that he was going to build a temple for God. And the prophet Nathan hears from God and delivers a message to David from God. 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 1. After the king, King David, was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you 
the one to build a house to for uh, are you the one to build a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, because remember, David was a shepherd when he was a boy, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. Now, here's the heart of it. There's a play on words in this text, which is going to govern the text. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When God says he's building a house for David, he does not mean a building. And he's not referring to the temple. It's a play on words. The house of David refers to the descendants of David. I will give you a family line. I will will give you those who will come after you and succeed you and receive your inheritance. I will give you a house. And then the verse continues, chapter uh, verse 12. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He's talking about Solomon. Uh, And now the Lord plays with uh, the the word uh, and gives it a double meaning. I, I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. Now he's referring to the temple. I will give you, David, a house and your house will give me a house. I will give you a lineage of descendants and your descendants will build me a temple where I will be worshiped. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. Now, Christians have always interpreted this as passing on through the line of David down to Jesus because Jesus is in the bloodline of David. He's a descendant of David. He's a descendant of of Solomon. So God is saying, David, I will give you a line of descendants whose kingdom will last forever, which is fulfilled in Jesus. I will be his father, he will be my son, because Jesus is the son of God, right? I will give you a house, and you will give me a house. You will give me a temple in which to worship. Solomon will build for me a temple, and your house, your descendants, will preserve my temple. I will give you a house, and you will give me a house. Verse 14, when he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands. Now, that doesn't happen to Solomon, It happens to Jesus. But Jesus did no wrong. It says when he does wrong, but Jesus did no wrong. Jesus lived a sinless life. What happened was at the end of his life, Jesus took our sins upon him. And Jesus is flogged and tortured and crucified so that our sins get what they deserve. Verse 15, but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, a former king, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. 
Nathan reported to David all the words of the entire revelation. Now, I want to draw a contrast between the house that David would build for God and the way you and I view church today. Because the the conception of the temple was, I will provide for you, David. I'll give you a house. I will bless your descendants forever. One day a Messiah will come in your line. He will be the the king of the universe. And I will bless his name. I, I will make your name great and it will last forever. And you will give me a house in return. Your your building of the temple will create a place of worship in which my name is celebrated. That's what the house of worship is for. It is a place in which God's name is celebrated. Now, flesh out the difference between the temple that Solomon built and the church in which you and I worship. Picture Jesus going to that temple, the temple of Solomon, the place of worship in Jerusalem. Jesus would have gone there with his parents at least three times a year for the three major Jewish festivals, Passover, Sukkot, and Shavuot. These are the three festivals that celebrate the fact that God led them to freedom out of slavery, that God provided for them when they wandered in the wilderness, and God spoke to them Uh, on Mount Sinai when he gave the law to Moses. God provided for them freedom. God provided for them sustenance. And God provided for them his word. The major celebrations in the Jewish calendar were to remember the fact God has provided for us everything we need. God gave us a house. And so now we go to his house to honor his name. That's what the church is for. And there in the temple in Jerusalem, the primary act of worship was to take sacrifices to offer on the altar. The primary act of worship was the giving of gifts. It was not listening to a sermon. It was not singing cool songs. Though they did those kinds of things, the primary act of worship was giving of sacrifices to be reconciled to God. I have already given you a house. I have already provided for you. I've already given you what you need. Now you give me a house. Give me a place in which worship is a regular routine of your life. Not something you do passively now and then. Make worship a a regular part of the cycle of your week. Keep the Sabbath day and honor my name. Think about how different we conceive of church in modern day American society. Probably 70 years ago, if you went to church, church was designed to be like a classroom. You were to sit in rows and listen to someone up front who might not be that interesting, give a lecture, and the goal was for you to get all the right facts in your head. The goal was to get the right facts in your head because you need the right facts in case there's a quiz to get into heaven. The really passionate people would take notes. And the goal was to, to learn what the Bible's all about. And that's a great thing. We need to know what the Bible's all about. Good doctrine matters so that we don't worship false gods. But good doctrine is not enough. You need to welcome God into your heart. You can have all the right facts in your head and never welcome God into your heart. And that's not enough. The the goal back then was get the facts right and wait till you get to heaven. Around the 1980s, the leaders of the church realized that in America, people were going to church less and less. And they said, we've got to change something fast in order to get people in here. What could we do without having to move the architecture around all that much that would really attract people? Kids grow up saying, I don't want to go to school. What do they want to go to? I know what we could make it, said the pastors back then. We could make it a theater. 
We don't have to move the chairs at all. We'll still have a stage up front. But instead of filling people with information, we'll fill, fill them with inspiration. Instead of walking away saying, I learned something, they'll walk away saying, I felt something. And it's good to feel something when you enter into the presence of God. It's good to feel joy and to worship or to repent and, and remember how much he's done for us. But just feeling something in church is not enough either. You can have all the cathartic experiences you want and not take a step closer to God. The church has taken steps to engage a world that may seem far from God, but there's something missing from that original conception of the temple at the beginning, that original laying down of territory for God. The original story that God gave to Nathan who gave to David was this. I've already given you a house. Now you give me a house. I will absolutely provide for you. Now make worship central to your weekly schedule. Let there be a place where my name will be made great. It will be a house of thanksgiving. It will be a house of prayer. It will be a house of worship. When we walk out of church on Sunday morning, if our primary evaluation was, did I learn something or did I feel something or was it what I wanted? We've absolutely missed the point. When we gather for worship, the question is, are we giving God his due for all that he has already given us? If not, I have a, I have a recommendation this morning. I have a, a new discipline I want to set up for us. If you've never done this before, I want you to give this a try. Before you walk into church on Sunday morning, or before you turn on the device if you're at home watching, stop and give thanks. Stop and reflect on all God has already provided for you. It'll be a good salve to prevent us from walking into church saying, I hope I get something out of this today. We should walk into church saying, look at what I've already been given. Here are some of the things that I reflect on when I go to the house of worship. One, God has always, already given us amazing provision. God gives us homes to live in. God gives us food to eat. God gives us what we need. And when we, when we pray, when we lift our voices in desperation, he's quick to deliver what we need. And so we as a church, we as a people have been given a house. Now we want to return the house to God. We want to give God a house where his name is made great. We want to a church that gives out groceries starting in March, every other Saturday, we're going to give out groceries to whoever needs it. They'll drive through the parking lot. We'll put it in the car. They'll drive away again. We'll, we'll have a house of worship where people know that God's name is great, where people know that Jesus provides for them. God has given us a house. Now we want to give him this house. God has given us Friendships and relationships by making us healthy, by teaching us how to live lives of love and forgiveness and grace. When we do relationships on Jesus' terms instead of on our own terms, they're so much healthier and better than they would have been if we had built them ourselves. And so we, in turn, will give God a house by loving people who have wrecked their lives, welcoming them with grace and not blame. 
taking in people who do not return love to us and loving them anyway, because God has already provided for us. He's given us a house. And so now we give him this house. We give him a house of worship in which his name is made great, in which we give thanks to him. That's what the church is for. He's given us calling. He's given us meaning and significance in this life. God calls us to change lives so that his name would be made known. God calls us to go out into the world, love people in Jesus' name, pray for them, and invite them into the community of faith. God has already given you everything you need to absolutely change someone's life. God's given us a house, and so now we give him this house by becoming missionaries in this world and inviting others into God's house. We want to talk about God providing for us. Uh, I heard a story in the life of our own congregation about how God has provided. If you'll remember in January, if you've, if you've been with us for a few weeks now, in January, we had a 21-day fast where many of us gave up something in order to pray for 21 days. And I told you when that fast began, I will not be surprised if we see miracles happen during this fast. This is a great story. Uh, there's a woman in our congregation. She gave, me, she gave me permission to share. She said, you better not invite me up to that stage. But she said I could share. Uh, and her name is Tanya. And uh, Tanya, just a few years ago, wasn't, wasn't going to church. And uh, she was diagnosed with, uh, there was a growth on her vocal cords. And it was dangerously close to her vocal cords. And they weren't sure what surgery would do to it. And she was afraid of what medication would do to it, to her voice. Uh, and so she didn't start taking medication. Um, she said uh, she was going to spend some time uh, praying. And she said she prayed fiercely. She, she came to our church. This was the first church she was going to. She became a Christian here. She was baptized here. Uh, and then in 2020, she, uh, she went to the doctor for her six-month checkup. And the doctor said, well, the the lump on your throat has, has stopped growing. Uh, and I don't know why. Uh, she, hadn't, she hadn't begun medication yet. And she said, I don't, I don't, the doctor said, I don't, I don't know why. It shouldn't have stopped, but that's good. So this last month, she was fasting, and she decided she would fast from negativity. She would give up uh, negativity. She said, anytime anybody said anything rude to me, anytime somebody made me angry, I would immediately talk to Jesus. I'd immediately pray and ask Jesus to give me a pure heart. People in her life told her, you're not the same person you used to be. A week ago, she went back to the doctors for her six-month checkup. And the doctor said, well, I don't know what this is, but that lump in your throat is shrinking. I have no idea why that is. That shouldn't be the case. Whatever you're doing, keep doing it, he told her. I know what she was doing. She had decided that God was providing for her. And she was going to live a life of prayer and worship in return. I don't know why sometimes we have stories like that. And sometimes we pray and nothing seems to happen. And I, I fully affirm, you know, medicine and doctors, you know, great. You follow the routines your doctor tells you to do. But I also know there's a transcendent God who intervenes in this world. 
and who wants to provide for us. God has given us everything we need in this life. And what we need to do in return is to give him a house. To make worship central to our life. And to make the the house of worship a place of thanksgiving. Remember, Passover, Sukkot, Shavuot. God has called us out of freedom. Called us out of slavery and into freedom. God has provided for us when we wandered in the wilderness. And God has spoken to us. We know that experience together as real life church. God has called us out of stale and stagnant religiosity. Into real life. Into real worship. God has provided for us when we were meeting in rented buildings in a rented schoolhouse and didn't know where we were going to go next. And God has spoken to us by sending Jesus, his son, to show us what life is for and to die for us on the cross. If you've never invited Jesus in and asked him to bless your life, do it today. Don't let another day go by missing the most important thing that you can have in life. Invite Jesus in and say, I give you this house and I will honor your house. And then finally in the end, God prepares heaven for us. There's a house built by the carpenter of Nazareth which will last for all eternity. And when we live our lives in Christ, we go to a place where there will be no more mourning or tears or crying or pain. There's a great promise of what's coming for us. Your house will last forever, he said to David. Your house will last forever, he said to Solomon. Your house will last forever, he said to Jesus. And when you and I believe, we stand in the line of inheritance of that house. You, are, you and I are of the house of Jesus when we believe. And so we return to him this house. God has given us a house. And so we give him a house. You ever have that experience where you're not sure if God really loves you. Or if God's still mad at you. Or if God's holding a grudge. Everybody knows that experience. I know that experience. Everybody at some point or another has that nagging uncertainty. Pause before you enter church every week. Pause before worship and give thanks for all God has already provided to you. All the provisions God has already given you. Before you existed, he called you into existence. When you did not have an identity, he adopted you. When you didn't have a a destiny, a goal for your life, he prepared heaven for you. And when you didn't have a means to make your life right, he died for you. What more does he have to do to convince you that he absolutely loves you? I remember when my daughter, Sonoma, who's now 17, was about three or four years old. And she was walking along with her grandfather one day. And she heard coins rattling around in his pocket. She was right at about pocket level. She could hear the coins rattling around in there. And she turned to her grandfather and she said, can I have some money? And he said, of course. And he reached in his pocket and he took out all the coins and he gave them to her. She looked at him thankfully. And then she said, can I have some more? And he said, well, I don't have any more. And she said, well, then you need to work harder. (laughs) When we look at all that God has given us and we're still not sure if he loves us, we're saying to him, well, you need to work harder. 
All the things that you haven't given me are not enough to convince me. You made me. You died for me. You called me home. You, you spoke through this material world into my heart so that I would know you. Does God really need to do anything more for us? Or has he already given us the house that we need? God has given us a house. And so we give him this house. David will then respond to Nathan. And this is what he says, verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this, thus far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For, for you know your servant, sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. And there was no God but you. And then skip down to verse 28. Sovereign Lord, you, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy. And you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant. That it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken. And with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. Let me offer a prayer for real life. Bow your heads with me. Lord, you have led us out of stale and stagnant religiosity and into freedom. You provided us, you provided for us in the wilderness with a temporary shelter and exactly the resources that we needed. You moved us into new territory at exactly the right time. You provided for us buildings that we did not build and vineyards that we did not plant. People who were far from you saw this house and came and were welcomed among your people and adopted into the house of Jesus, the line of Jesus, the church. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this. Now be pleased to bless this house of your servants. Use it to welcome the lost into your kingdom. Use it to feed the hungry and to care for orphans and widows. Use it to provide shelter for the foreigner who is far from home. Make it a house of prayer for all the nations. And as you bless Real Life Church, use it to make your name great. You have given us a house, and so now we give you this house. Amen. At the end of his life, Jesus would go to the cross as one final, powerful message to us that he loved us so much that he would die for us. When he died on the cross, all of our brokenness and sin were transferred onto him when we believe. All you have to do is believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and you're forgiven. And all the rest of our lives are then an act of thanksgiving. At the end of his life, he would leave this meal with his disciples so that they would remember, so that they would celebrate and worship what he did for them on the cross. If you're watching this on the podcast, if you're at home listening or watching, 
and you've prepared, prepared the communion elements in your home, uh, you can take these now and celebrate them where you are. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and giving thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, broken for you. After supper, he took the cup, and he said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Each time you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. And so we eat this bread, and we drink this cup, and we remember that Jesus died for us on the cross. And we celebrate that in worship until he comes again. Wherever you are, go ahead and take the elements and receive them with thanksgiving. God bless you. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.